Anyways, for those of you who don't know me, I am Stefan Dirksen, pastor of the Four Winds Ministry here at the church, and I get to lead kind of the helping ministry of our church, which is a great pr privilege of mine. And today, we're going to be speaking about belonging. And that's kind of why we did that neat little exercise. Now, when it's staged like that, it doesn't necessarily give us the same feelings on the inside. But even there, it feels good to turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, say welcome here, to have someone say welcome back, and say that we belong. There's something about those words and about that human contact that just feels good, doesn't it? I mean, if we would try to describe it, we would just say it feels right. It feels right. It hits something deep down inside all of us, right? I mean, the desire to belong runs really deep in all of us. In fact, it's at the foundation upon which everything else that we are is built upon, right? So when we feel like we belong, we feel things like we feel seen and we feel heard. We feel valuable. We feel understood, right? We feel loved for who we are. You know, it's not a performance-based thing. We feel known, remembered. They're good feelings when someone remembers our name. We feel like we fit in. So when we feel these things, and if we were going to try to encapsulate, what does that feel like? Often, I mean, a good way to describe it would be, it feels like we're home, right? It feels like home. Belonging somewhere feels like home. It feels like I can stay here. This is a place that I want to stay, that I want to be, right? When we feel understood, loved, valuable, those, I mean, when people make us feel that way, those are the types of people we want to be around all the time. You know, on staff here, there's someone that this comes very naturally to. His name's Donovan, Pastor Donovan. And he actually does this very, very well, right? I mean, anyone here who has talked to him for any length of time, even for a short little bit, you feel right away he's genuine. He'll grab your hand. He's genuine. The way he looks at you, the way he talks to you, the way he makes you feel is that you have a place with him. You're not an inconvenience to him, right? And it feels good. And that's why people want to be around someone like a Donovan. It's because he's good at doing this. He creates belonging. So whether this is in marriage, family, school, peer groups, ministry, etc., when we feel that we belong, those are the places where we truly begin to come alive. Right? Where we would talk about when do I feel most alive, right? Unless you've been totally starved of having healthy belonging in your life, we would most likely point to places where we feel like we belong, where we fit in. Maybe we were doing something, but we were doing something together. Right? It's when we're together, not apart, not alone. You know, uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21, 12 verses there, titled, The Mark of a True Christian. You've probably seen it in your Bible before. I think the heading they just put in there. But the, the passage there, those 12 verses, that was always there. And what it describes there, so that's the mark of a true Christian. Okay? And what, you, what you'll find if you go and read there, and it's on the challenge, weekly challenge at the end, so I'll give it to you again then if you're wondering what the passage was. But you'll get it at the end. But what you'll find there is a detailed description of what it looks like to go and create belonging. Right? And what it says there is that that's the mark of a true Christian. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for people that will go and create belonging like this. Right? And we'll look at what that looks like in just a moment. So when we fail to find a place to belong, it leads to the pain of rejection, inadequacy, and failure, doesn't it? And everyone in here can relate to that. We've all felt rejection. We've all felt inadequate failure. And it hurts. Right? I would say rejection, this is actually, I mean, studies will prove this, right? But Rejection is one of the most painful things that a human being can actually experience, emotionally and physically, right? We will do almost anything to avoid the pain of rejection, right? It causes us to get into all sorts of things like addictions and dysfunctions and bondages, right? And they say most addictions are actually fueled by attachment pain, which is the result of rejection, right? It's because we don't find a place to belong where we're loved for who we are, where people understand us, see us value us. That's why addictions are so hard to get over, 
Because how do you fill that void? It's very, very difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. So I'm going to start by giving you then an example of a time where I was, where I didn't, where I got to experience rejection. And we moved here at the age of 10. And uh, when I was 10, not my whole family was 10, clearly my parents and everyone else was older <laughs> than I was. But when I was 10, so I was grade four, and uh, I started school in Kleefeld in, uh, in just, you know, 10 minutes away from here. And uh, in grade four, so here I just moved from Woodstock, Ontario. You know, I had all my friends and my friends and my group, my peer group, my place where I belonged was there, right? I had my family, and now I was looking for a new place to call home, right? To feel like I belong, like I fit in. And when we started grade four, I found it very, very difficult. It's a difficult age already. Things are getting kind of awkward at that point already. Kids are learning, you know, up till grade two or three, kids are very inviting of a lot of kids. And then after that, it starts to change. It really starts to split into groups and not just anyone can come and be a part of our group. And that's kind of the age when I first kind of tried to fit in, into this new school. And it was difficult for me. I couldn't find the place where I belonged. And it didn't, uh, you know, it's not like I was consciously thinking about it all the time. But I could feel it. It hurt on the inside. I was looking for ways to fit in. I wanted to, you know, what, what do people expect of me here? And how do I be the right person so that they'll accept me for me so I can feel like I belong? And we were uh, on one recess. We were playing King of the Hill, which is a very fun game. I haven't played it as an adult, but I'm sure I would enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> but basically, we get some pretty big snow hills in the back here. If it snows lots, we should maybe do that after church, the big King of the Hill match. Anyways, just... <laughs> That'll be deleted from the message online. Anyways, so we're playing King of the Hill, and I figured this is my chance to create belonging, to find my place where I fit in, right? Because you're the, 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 you know, the game is all about you get to the top of the hill, and anyone else that comes up there, you just shove them down the hill, and you know, you're basically just possessing the top. You want to be the king of the hill, right? No one else can get up on top of the hill. And I figured this was my chance to prove that I was somebody. So I wasn't just you know, playing to win and having fun. I was actually playing to fit in. So I was playing, I was putting in way too much effort and energy, way too much of my power, and I was actually hurting people. And it just so happened that I ended up hurting one of the popular kids. And what was supposed to be, this is going to finally get me included in this group, turned into everyone turning on me, and it backfired. So that was a really painful thing. I had, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever it was, kids that were chasing me, you know, calling me all sorts of things. I don't know what they were planning on doing if they'd actually caught up to me. Luckily, I ran faster because I was running for my life. And uh, finally, you get away and the adrenaline's pumping, and I just felt a deep sense of just shame and rejection. Right? I didn't fit in here. I didn't have a people to call my own. I didn't have that, and it hurt. You might say, yeah, but that's just a 10-year-old. It doesn't hurt kids that much. It hurts the same, whether you're 10 or whether you're 50. Rejection stings. It hurts. And I remember going and trying to hide it from everyone, and I cried, kind of crying softly to myself and just trying to keep it in, and We'll just pretend this isn't a big deal to me, right? And this lasted, there was a few recesses over the, ne- over the course of the next week. I don't know how long, how many days. But where this continued, where I would start getting chased once they would find out where I was, then I would get chased. And finally, after I don't know how many recesses in a row where this happened, it ended with uh, me running home. I finally broke down in front of everyone, which is really embarrassing. And I ran home crying because uh, I was looking for a place to be safe, right? And I got there. So anyhow, when I came back, I had a wonderful teacher uh, she's one of my favorite teachers, actually, that I've had growing up. And she was really, really good. And what she did is she recognized my distress right away. She recognized it didn't get me in trouble for running home. Instead, recognized something serious was going on here, so she tried to help, which I really appreciated. I don't remember what was all said between me and her, but I do remember what she did to try to fix the situation. And what she did is she had all the, 
the kids come out one by one to apologize. That seems like it's good sense, right? Makes sense. You know, you, they got to learn to apologize. They can't treat people that way. And then it kind of makes me feel better at the same time. But with each kid that came into the hallway, I felt an increasing amount of shame and rejection. Because here I was, this person that they were all picking on. I didn't fit in. I didn't have a place to belong, right? I was rejected. And it felt, I felt a lot of shame from sitting there. And so what I did is I started doing something that wasn't part of who I was before that day. Right? It's not that I had never done this before, but it wasn't a part of who I was. But from that day forward, I started to lie. Right? I made for myself what's called a pseudo-identity. So what's a pseudo-identity? It's just a false identity. It's something, it's a mask. We all wear masks in front of different people. It's a mask. I thought I would lie. I would create a mask that would never feel this kind of shame and rejection again. I would create a mask that would be accepted everywhere I went. Now, that doesn't actually work. But uh, that's what I was doing anyhow. And I started telling them about how I was this fighter and I was I, I'm 10 years old. I'm this scrapper and I had been on all these fights when I was in Woodstock, Ontario and how I had this training to be a fighter at that time and all that kind of stuff, which was all lies. But why? I wanted them to feel like I had held back when they were chasing me. But had they actually caught up to me and I, I had I unleashed, they would have been sorry. <laughs> I figured, <laughs> stupid, eh? But what I, it is what it is. So here I was, and I was making up this story, and I figured because they're not, like, if, if they see me as a person who is strong and intimidating, they're not going to want to hurt me the way they just did. Right? So that's what I did, and it was effective. I didn't realize the consequences that, it would, that would come along with a lie like this. It led to, I had to actually live up to who I said I was. And so this kind of created the next many, many years of my life, right into my adulthood, Right? of feeling like no one ever knew who I really was, that I was always this false person. I actually ended up becoming a fighter, and I was even good at it, but I never felt like I was actually good at it because it was always based on a lie, which is funny how that works, right? But it was, that's the reason I got into fighting in the first place. I was never that angry fighter guy. I was always the fearful kid feeling like he's rejected, right? So I would fight out of that. I would fight out of rejection because I want to be accepted. That's what I wanted, and uh, it was a terrible thing. Now, you know the rest of my testimony. I think I've shared it here many times before how I later turned to drugs and all that kind of stuff, and I never found my place to belong, right? It first started with a peer group, and then when my mom got sick, it was like both communities I had. I didn't have a sense of belonging at school, but I had it at home. But then when mom got sick, it felt like even my sense of safety and belonging there was now being taken away from me. That's when I shut down completely, and I turned um, to a life of drugs and sex and violence and that sort of thing that wasn't very good until Jesus rescued me, right? Now, what's my point in sharing this story again is I wanted to illustrate the power of belonging. This is a desire that all of us have deep down inside. We have a longing for belonging. Let's say that together. Longing for belonging. We have a what? There you go. You get it. We have a longing for belonging. It is deep down inside. It is a part of who you, who you were created to be. In fact, if you recall, I spoke on the five levels of the brain back in January. You probably don't recall that far back, but I did. You can look at it. It's online. But in there, I talked about level one was your attachment center, right? It decides who and what is important to you. Well, what, what makes this center function properly is finding a place to belong. So this is at the foundation, the very base of everything else that you become in life is based on who and what is important to you, which is found in where you find belonging, right? So the, this is actually, a, I mean, it's, it's big, it's crucial, it's critical. So let's continue on here. Why, why don't I pray first, and then I'll continue on. Lord Jesus, I just ask, as I continue, you know, going through this message now, this is your heart. 
You created a place for us to belong. You, you create belonging. That's what you do. And God, you're looking for us to answer that. You want us to find our sense of self and value and worth and to find the place where we belong in your presence. But I'm asking that today, that you would just take the word that you've given here, you know, scriptures that we'll be sharing, that you would just drive it into our hearts. We want to get this. We want to be a people that are known for creating belonging. Not spreading rejection, but creating a, belo- a, a sense of belonging where people feel loved and accepted. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, like I said, belonging is something that we all desire. It's at the base level of, of how we were created. It's something we experience. Okay, so it's something we feel. I kind of alluded to that earlier, and I'll get into that in, in great detail in a moment. But it's something we experience. We feel this. It's not something we're always thinking on, do I feel like I belong here? We feel it. When we feel accepted, when we feel loved, when we feel seen, those types of things. But it's also something that we can create. Okay, so belonging is love in action. That's what it is. So scripture, I mean, obviously love is very central to biblical teaching. It's very close to God's heart. Uh, the entire law was summed up by one word, love. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Think about that. Okay, so this love, right, this kind of, this love would sum up all of the law, all of the prophets. It would all be summed up in love God and love people. This is no ordinary love, is it? Right, that sums up all of biblical teaching. This was to be transformative. It was to be the supernatural sign that distinguished the followers of Jesus from the non-followers of Jesus. You find that in John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And then hear this. By, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about that. Let that soak in. Because we all think we know how to love, don't we? Non-believers and believers alike, we all know how to love. We all know what love feels like. But the kind of love that we're called to as Christians, as believers, is a love that's way higher than anything a human being can do on their own. It's way higher. It was supposed to be so extraordinary that it was to be the sign, the one sign above everything else, above the size of your building and the size of your pocketbook and, you know, all that kind of stuff, how many good relationships you have. The one sign that was supposed to say, that's a Christ follower, was to be love. Okay, this isn't something ordinary. It's not normal. Okay, so our brains were designed in such a way that we feel compassion and have an easy time loving those who we deem are like us. Okay, so everyone can love at a level is what I'm getting at here. Okay, everyone, everyone can, even non-believers. You don't need to be a believer in Jesus to love at any level, but you do need to be a believer to love at the level that God's calling us to. Okay, you need to actually have Christ's love in you, but to a level, everyone can love, right? If someone... If, you know, naturally when I see people, if they look like me, sound like me, and are kind to me, if they show me love and respect, I will naturally show them love in return. Right? And Jesus actually addressed this in Matthew 5, 46 to 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Now, is he saying loving people like this is bad? Loving those who love you is bad? No. Not saying that. He's just saying, that's how I created everyone to operate. You don't need to be special to do that. I mean, if someone comes to me and says, hey, how are you doing? And gives me five bucks. I'm like, hey, I'm doing 
great, how are you doing? And I actually care at that time, right? Five bucks goes a long way to create love with me. <laughs> right? right? No, it's, no, I'm kidding. I'm, that's, that's a joke. But, uh, but you see what I'm saying? Like Jesus is saying, that's all fine and dandy, but you don't need my love in you in order to love like that. Anyone can do that. He said, the kind of love I'm calling you to is where you love sacrificially. You love your neighbors. You love your enemies. You love me. You do it wholeheartedly. And it's not about self-centered because if I only love those whom I, you know, who, I dic- who I deem that you know, they're like me and they're kind to me and they do things for me, that's actually a self-centered love, isn't it? Right? Because the second you're not doing what I want you to do, I'm going to hold back my love from you until you change around. You might do that in marriage sometimes, Right? It's a self-centered love. It doesn't take Jesus' love for that. He's saying, no, 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 I'm calling you to a selfless love, right, where you love sacrificially. I don't know where I am. Oh, yeah, here we are. Okay, so this love was to be so spectacular that it would first require us to experience God's love in order to be able to share it with others. Okay, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. This is not just the, the love that the world can love with. This is a supernatural, extraordinary love that we can only do because we first find ourselves loved in his presence. John 13, 34, just as I have loved, you are also to love one another. This is Jesus speaking. So how did Jesus show his love? Well, you look Old Testament right through to the end of New Testament, and what do you'll find God doing over and over and over again? Creating belonging. It's exactly, belonging, belonging is love in action. That's exactly what he's doing. From, from right in Genesis, you find Adam and Eve walking in the garden, Right? God had a place for them. He created the garden for them. He had jobs for them to do. Right? He, had val- he showed them that they were valuable. He saw them. He walked with them. He understood them. He cared for them. He created belonging. That's what he did. Right? And then throughout you know, the Old Testament, there's all sorts of stories of God delivering the Israelites and moving them around. And you know, he's always trying to give them a place where they can call their own, where they can feel like they belong, a place that they can call home. Right? And why is he doing that? He says, so, I can, so you can be my people and I can be your God. Possessive words like that has everything to do with belonging. Right? Belonging is possessive. Right? It says, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing, a part of my life. Right? That's exactly what it says. That's what, that's what the Lord showed us. Exodus 29, 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God that I might dwell among them. Think about that. These people made so many mistakes, God's people, and we still make so many mistakes. Look at God's heart, that I might dwell among them. That's why he does the miracles, so I might dwell among them. Right? We know he's glorifying and honoring his name so his name can be advanced. I get that totally. But look what's right alongside that, that I might dwell among them. Right? He wants you to have a place to belong. He wants to belong with us, his people. Jesus continued this right in the New Testament. You know, he said he only, saw, he only did what he saw the Father doing. And just like we saw in the Old Testament, just continued creating belonging. That's exactly what happened. Jesus, you know, from eating with corrupt tax collectors. Everyone else said, we don't like those guys. They rip us off. They're jerks, right? They're tax, tax collectors. They're bad. We don't like tax collectors, right? And especially corrupt ones. Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat. You belong with me. You have a place with me. That's what Jesus says. You have a place with me. I know you make mistakes. That's okay. You have a place in my heart, Right? Touching lepers, noticing the woman who touched his robe, going across the sea just to deliver one man from demons in the cemetery. Think about that. Goes across the sea, delivers one man, gets back in the boat, and goes back across the sea. Goes over there just to show him that he's loved and cared for. The whole world has rejected you. They keep trying to chain you down in this cemetery because you're full of demons. 
And that's terrible. I can only imagine how terrible that must be. But know that the Lord is with you. The Lord is for you and not against you. What is that? Creating belonging. That's exactly what that is. That's what it looks like. All right, so this was to be our model for how we were to love after he left. We were to create belonging around us wherever we went. And this strategy obviously would work best as we're all created, like I said, at the foundational level of our brains and the way we're created of our personalities, our identities, is this longing to belong. We all want to fit in. We all want to have a place that we can call home. People that we can say, these are my people, right? These are my people. That's what I often feel when I come in here. These are my people. That's what I feel about us in here. They're my people, right? We love each other. We care for each other. We hurt together. We cry together. We laugh together. We have fun together because we're together, right? We have found a place where we can belong. Okay, so how do we create belonging? We'll look at how we create belonging now. So remember, creating belonging is love and action. Okay, so that's key here. Creating belonging is love and action. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, love your neighbors, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, how do we love? We love by creating belonging. Now we'll take a look at what that looks like. So whether, you know, in family, neighbors, enemies, public, wherever you are, when we create belonging, this is what we're looking for, okay? So this you'll need to write down because I don't have it in the weekly challenge. So you should write it down or snap a little shot of it if you need to because there's, uh, you're going to, at the end, during the week, you're going to actually listen for how you can create belonging in some different categories. And you want to reference back to this because this is what belonging is. This is what you're communicating. When I go to create belonging somewhere or with someone, I'm communicating this. I'm saying, I see you, I hear you. That feels good, doesn't it? Right? I mean, I get this sometimes. When I, sometimes. This happens all the time in here. Normally, we come in with lots of time to spare. Every now and then, you know, you have kids getting ready. You come into church and you're late and you're just tasked. I just want to get to my seat. I want to get my, make sure I get my seat. You ever feel like that? I want to make sure I get my seat. Someone else is sitting there and you're like, don't you see my name was on there? Anyways, but... You know, we're in that hurry. You come through the doors here, and those greeters, you try to get past them, they'll track you down. They find your eyes, and they get in front of you, and they want to shake your hand. Welcome here. Why is that? Right? Because they're wanting to create belonging. They care about us. I love that. I love coming in here and then seeing them chase people down and chase me down. It feels great, doesn't it? Right? You won't let me go past. Why? Because you see me. You hear me. You value me. I'm important to you. Right? And we all think about that. We're like, well, what's the big deal? Think about how that makes you feel when that happens to you. Doesn't it feel good? When someone communicates, I see you, you're important to me, you're valuable, there's almost no better thing on earth. It just feels right. Right? So it says, I remember you. Remembering someone. Very, huh, someone remembers your name that you don't know very well. You're like, you remember me? You know my name? And then right away they get a smile, right? You know me? That feels good to be known, doesn't it? feels very, very good, right? Someone is glad to be with us. When we communicate, I'm glad to be with you, we build joy together. Building joy together creates belonging. When we show people that we love them because they are who they are, not because of what they do for us, we create belonging. Okay, so seeing, that's the list right there, so make sure that's marked down or take a picture of it. Now we're going to look at two practical ways in which we do this, create belonging, right, based upon Jesus' command to love. Okay, so he said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're not going to focus on there today, even though that's a given. But then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And later on he says, love your enemies. So we have love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies. And that's what we're going to look at practically together after I have some water. I had so much fun putting this message together, you have no idea. But you kept asking the Lord, what's your heart on this? It's such a simple truth, by the way. 
But you keep asking, what's your heart in this? What's your heart? And every time he impacts you with his heart on belonging and love, I just, you weep. You just fall before him. You're like, oh, I can't believe how many times I have actually rejected the Lord. He just makes every opportunity to like, come here, come here, come here. Spend time with me. Live with me. Ask me a question, right? Ask me where I am right now. Let me reveal myself to you. It's so incredibly intimate and wonderful. And it was just, I mean, it was a lot of fun putting this together. That has nothing to do with my message notes other than as I was drinking, I reflected on this. It's awesome. Okay? It's awesome, right? Weird, I know. Anyhow, so let's look at the first one. This is how we love our neighbors. Belonging is inclusive. It makes room for everyone. So this is loving our neighbors as ourselves. This is very, very important. It's the first one we're going to look at. You remember the uh, story of the Good Samaritan? It's Luke 10. Uh, Luke 10, 29 to 37. So it's eight verses there. So we have the story of the Good Samaritan. And this story of the Good Samaritan was our biblical picture of what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay? So in Jesus, you know, challenging them, they're going back and forth. What does it look like? Who's our neighbor? And that sort of thing. And it comes down to Jesus gives this picture of this is who your neighbor is. So it's someone that you're not, it's not actually the person next to you. It's just whoever is next to you. It doesn't actually matter where they live or what people they're from. It's whoever is next to you, right? So in here, my neighbor is everyone around me. That's what Jesus was illustrating. That's the point. That's who you want to help and show love to, everyone around you. So we can all look around us and see who our neighbors are at that given time. And that was the whole point that was illustrated there. And what I love is we look through the story and we're like, wow, that's really cute. You know, the guy, you know, he's a good Samaritan, comes and he helps, helps the guy, brings him to an inn, pays for him, you know, to get some care done, and then he leaves, right? And we think, that's really good. And, I, you know, if I was in the same circumstance, I'm a Christian, I'm sure I would do the same thing. But then when it actually comes down to it, we have all sorts of reasons why we don't want to do the same thing. Like maybe we're too busy, right? We're too busy. I don't have time to actually do that. Have you ever considered, though, that that good Samaritan was too busy? Think about it. He had left. He was on a journey to somewhere. <laughs> Sounds like he had things to do, doesn't it? Then when he brings them, he stops his plans to help somebody out that needed help, brings him to an inn, says, here's some money. I'll pay for whatever it takes to get him better. And then he says, I have to run, though. I'm busy. <laughs> I have to go. I have things I have to do, but I'll come back because I'm going to come back through here on my way home. And when I come back through, if there's any extras that you need to keep this guy well and make sure that he's taken care of, I'll pay the extra then. Think about that. That's how, what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. He was busy and he put himself out in order to show love to others. That's the picture we're given in Scripture. Right in Luke 10, 37, I love how Jesus said to him then after giving this story, he says, now you go and do the, likewise. You go and do the same. He said, how do you love your neighbor? Like this, this is what you do, now you go and do it. Right? I've, I've given you a model, now you go and do it. Now like I said before, naturally we all create belonging with people who are like us. That's who we see, right? If you look like me, sound like me, that kind of stuff, right? You act like me, I think you're someone that I can relate to. So I'll, I'll be nice to you, that sort of thing. Jesus said, that's not good enough. James 2, 8-9, yes indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin, you are guilty of breaking the law. So this, this, this we have to look at this. I mean, because we're like, yeah, but there's always reasons why I don't have to go and create belonging and show love. I mean, there's, and sometimes they're maybe legitimate and valid, okay? I'm not saying that there's never a reason why you have to, you know, you can't stop to be with someone, okay? But hear what it says here, right? If we don't fulfill this commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we leave those people on the side of the road, it says we are actually guilty 
guilty of breaking the law. We are transgressors of the law. Think about that. This is God's heart. He said, if the only reason you're going to stop and go out of your way is because you think you're going to get something in return, that's the only person you're going to love, you're actually sinful at heart. He said, my love in you is different. You don't just do it because you get something. You do it because people are inherently valuable. Right? They're inherently valuable to God and they should be inherently valuable to us. Hey, that's the way it works. So, we are to create belonging inclusively, making a place for everyone to belong, whether they are like us or not, whether they have something to offer us or not, and whether we will see them again. Right? That's the way it works. Now, this happens in cell, school, at work. You know, it doesn't matter where we are. If we're in public, this means that we, you know, we're a warm and friendly people. This is what God is calling us to, an attractive people that communicate to everyone we come in contact with that you are inherently valuable. And I will show you that because I will show you that you are seen. I will show you that you are heard. I will seek to understand you. I will seek to feel what you are feeling and to not judge you in your weakness. That's what we're called to do, right? That's what it looks like. We do this everywhere. I'll give you some examples. This is, uh, I mean, you might just think this next one is kind of sappy and cheesy, but it is what it is, okay? Me and my wife, we have a, we have a tradition. Every time we go to Winnipeg, we always stop by McDonald's here and get coffees. Uh, two large coffees with one cream in each. And consistently, consistently, my wife always asks for a medium, and I refuse because I'm a Mennonite to ever order anything less than a large. Because if you look cost-wise, um, the large makes more sense. You're paying way more per ounce of coffee in a medium than in a large. So anyhow, I flat out refuse. Even if it wastes half the coffee, it doesn't actually matter. Honey, you're getting the big one, okay? That's just the way it works. When you drive, you can, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> that's not an example of creating belonging, okay? That was not, that's not the example I'm trying to show you. You're like, okay, this is how we create belonging? No. So anyhow, we're in the drive-thru. This is just a total stranger, right? Because we're not, I mean, we're such busy people nowadays, right? We, we don't know people the way we used to, right? Society used to be set up in such a way where you knew everyone that was around you. You knew the person that was serving you at, at the restaurant. You knew all of your neighbors on the entire block. That's how it used to be. It's not like that anymore. We don't know people anymore. We just know those that are in our little group. That's it. But I mean, we're trying to break that mold. So we get to the drive-thru window and we got a welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you, <laughs> right? And, uh, my response to that was just immediately, thank you for your warm welcome. I appreciate that. And we'll take the two coffees, large coffees with one cream. Not a big thing. You're like, that's just little, it's small. It doesn't mean anything. Sure, it's little and small. But these are the kind of things that should mark a Christian. Because we're saying, we appreciate you. You're valuable to me. I appreciate the effort you're making in serving me. Even if it is your job or not. It doesn't actually matter. You know, when we got to the drive through window, I got a giggle and a big smile. Both me and my wife did. And uh, thank you very much. You made my day right? That's worthwhile. You're like, oh, that's kind of, I mean, that's good that you did that. That's good for you. No, no, this is good for all of us. This is the kind of people we are supposed to be everywhere we go. We should be attractive like this. People should want to be around us, right? They should be like, every time they come into contact with us as Christians, people should leave feeling like, I want to be around that person again. I want to have what they have. I want to become like they are. Right? That's what we want. That's the impression we want to leave so that we can lead people to Jesus. And that's done through creating belonging. Um, my son did this in, in uh, grade one. He did a really good job of this. He still does a good job. He's a very good mix between he likes his sports, but he's also very compassionate, which is good. Um, so we love that about him. We love all of our kids, obviously. But anyhow, so in grade one, we got a report back from his teacher. And his teacher had said, you know, Austin shows wisdom well beyond his years. And we thought, I mean, that's a really good thing to have said about your child, especially when they're young like that. 
And then she went on to give us an example. And she said, this is the kinds of things that he does all the time. And then she told us of this time she saw Austin helping one of the kids that has special needs tie their shoe. And then when they got their other shoe done right, then he was praising them for it and saying, good job, like way to go, you did that right. And she said, that's the kind of thing he always does. He'll take time to go with the people that, you know, whether they're new to the class or whether they're struggling or whatever, he'll take the time to show them that they're noticed. I thought, that's awesome. That's how Christians should be. Right? I mean, it comes natural, more naturally when we're younger, and then for some reason we learn to stop doing this. Why? The Bible says, love God, love people. This is who we are. This is what marks us as Christians. It, what, it's what is supposed to make us different than the rest of the world. Because we love like this. Because we show people that they're valuable. I see you. I hear you. You're important to me. I care about you. That's what we're showing. Uh, Louise gave me another story. I'll give you one more example, then I'll move on to the next point. Um, uh, recently, Louise was... I mean, now, this happened to me just the other day, so I will caveat. I'm not saying it's bad to forget your kids at the bus stop. I technically did that just this last week once. <laughs> and two nice ladies from the church actually intervened. <clears throat> Whew! <laughs> Close call. Anyway, so I'm not saying it was bad, but what ended up happening was, because life happens, it just happens, and I forgot. But uh, in this case, Louise went to the bus. She was picking up Sarah. She's our youngest now in kindergarten. And uh, there was another little girl there that her mom wasn't there, and she was by herself. So Louise said, well, would you like me to walk you home? And the little girl was okay with that already, by the way. What is that? Creating belonging. Is it not? Right? Saying, you're valuable to me. I see you. You're not big like me, but I still see you. You're important to me. I value you. So she walks her home, and then they wait for her mom there. And her mom finally comes, and... Uh, she had, you know, said sorry a bunch of times in broken English and said she had been late because she was taking an English class. Okay, so then now we speed forward a couple of days. Louise sees her again at the bus stop. And she goes up to her and says, hey, how are you doing? You know, good and stuff in the broken English. And then said, how are you doing in English class? To which the woman whips around in surprise. Oh, my fly again. I almost had it. <laughs> That's not what she whipped around and, and did, by the way. <laughs> did you see the size of that fly? That was huge. I touched it too. I didn't get it though. Thankfully. But anyhow, <laughs> sorry. I ruined my own story. It's water break. Oh. Okay. So anyhow, she said, so how is, how is your English classes going? And the woman looks around in surprise. You remember me? Feels good, doesn't it? Right? So they started talking a little bit, and Louise asked her, oh, so that, like, do you have any other kids? And she said, yes, and Within, you know, a couple of minutes, all of a sudden this woman had opened up about how her previous husband had passed away and it was a difficult time and how she had been remarried. And some other deep, in, deep details about her life. Like, why does that just happen? It doesn't just happen. It happens when we, as Christians, show people that we love and care for them. When we create belonging around us, just the way Scripture teaches us to do. Right? What Louise had done there is she communicated to her, I see you, you're important to me. You're valuable. I remember you. I know you. When people communicate that to us, there is seriously no better feeling on earth. It's how we were designed. Like I said, it's that base level of your brain. It gives you, it's the pleasure and pain center as well. Okay, that's right all in the same area. There is nothing like having people just love you for being you. It feels better than anything else we can experience. Okay? So that's, what, that's the kind of belonging that we're supposed to do. And by the way, I hear... Well, I think at Selton, we're actually getting really, really good at this. We're getting better, but like anything else, we have to continue to grow. 
It's never good enough. We don't stay where we are because we do this to a level. But I know we're doing this to a level because of reports like this. I get all sorts of people, and we hear about this, that say, you know, I was so surprised for such a big church, you walk in here and you feel like you're at home. Ha, ah, you see that, that line? You feel like you're at home? What is that? What does belonging feel like? Belonging feels like home. That is what belonging feels like. It feels like home. It feels like, ah, oh, I can relax. This is a place where I fit. That's what home feels like. So I like that, that we're growing there, but we can continue to grow. So let's look at the second point here, and this is the more difficult one. Belonging makes room for weakness. Okay? Belonging makes room for weakness. This is the part of creating belonging that allows us to love our enemies as ourselves, even at the highest level. Okay? We have to, when we create belonging with others, when we show them love, we actually have to make room for their weaknesses and their faults. I'll give you a great example of this. And uh, Pastor Ray shared this a number of years ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's just that awesome. Uh, Dirk Williams, a Mennonite who was captured and imprisoned in 1659, uh, Dirk escaped and while fleeing from his pursuer, crossed a frozen moat or river. And although Dirk crossed safely, the man chasing him broke through the ice and, wall- and would have drowned. Pause. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment there. Be honest. You break out of prison. You're running away. Someone's chasing you. You're running for your life. You run across the river. It doesn't break. He runs across the river. He breaks and falls through. What's your first thought? Justice, right? <laughs> yes. Right? That's kind of what we think. It sounds terrible, but in our own humanness, is that not what we would think? Oh, thank the Lord. The Lord got me across safe, but he got his just desserts. Right? That's what he deserved. Let's see how Dirk responds. Dirk heard the man's cry. By the way, am I not right? Is that not how we would respond in our humanness? You're running for your life? He shouldn't have been chasing me. He's the one in the wrong. He got what's coming to him. Look how Dirk responds. Dirk heard the man's cry for help, turned around, and pulled him to safety, thus saving the life of someone who was trying to kill him. The guard whom Dirk rescued was grateful but officials refused to release Dirk and burned him at the stake. Let that sink in. Remember I said love is supposed to be transformative? That kind of love is transformative. His story will continue to get told until Jesus comes back and stories like it because that's supernatural to do that. That's not in us. In us is to say justice, haha. That's us, human beings, even at the best of times. When we're in those situations, that's not his response. You notice how he doesn't go back there and say, okay, wait, 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 I know you're drowning. We've got to do this quick, so make a quick decision. I'll pull you out if you let me go. Right? Because that's what we think. Sometimes we hold back love. I'll show love if you change the way you're acting around me. You stop being the way you're being, and I'll start being the person you need. That's what we say. Right? That's not what he did. He says, I'm going to show you love because you're inherently valuable. You're a son of the... Most high God, you may not realize it, but you are. And he wants you and he loves you and I'm going to show it by my actions. It's incredible. It's transformative love. Okay? Now, we won't necessarily all have to practice that at this level, hopefully. I hope that we don't, but you never know, right? It might come our way. In everyday life, though, making room for people's weaknesses is a wonderful way to say I love you regardless of what you do for me or to me. I just want to pause quick. There's a caveat. What if I'm in a place where I'm being abused? I am not talking about staying there as, you're, as you are getting abused, your family's being abused, you're being hurt, and you're in danger. That's not showing love by staying in danger and not getting out, right? Sometimes you will have to take steps to protect you and to protect those that are close to you. You'll have to set up boundaries. That's actually good. 
Okay, that's actually, God wants that. He doesn't want us to be enslaved to being hurt like that. But even when we have to set up boundaries, even when we have to leave, when we have to get police involved or the authorities because it's getting that bad, even when, what's our heart behind it? Are we bitter? Are we full of offense? And you're like, but it hurts. I get that. It hurts. I get that. But are we going to seek to love our enemies? Are we going to seek to get God's perspective? You know, when I've walked people through having to forgive people of just horrible atrocities. And the first thing I always do is, I don't know how to get someone to convince them they should forgive. Jesus, help them see the person the way you see them. You know, it's amazing how many times people break when they start seeing even the person that offended them the way God sees them. They start seeing them as a person, not a problem. And when you start seeing them as a person and not a problem, you start seeing them as valuable, even if they're broken and weak. Okay? So that's my little caveat. But I'm moving on. In most cases, we can, we can do this. We're not all in, in a situation when we're being abused like that. But loving people in their weakness without demanding they first change takes a love that can only come from spending time in the presence of Jesus. This is not a love you will ever be able to manufacture on your own. It does not come naturally to anybody. Nobody. That's why it's the supernatural sign that you're a Christ follower. Because it's the sign that says, oh, that person's been spending time in the presence of Jesus. Not just because of a prayer, because you're different. You respond differently. You act differently. You love differently with a love that's not your own. Okay? That's what it's supposed to be. So I'll give you a couple of examples of this. I mean, Jesus did this to me when he called me into his family, August 27, 2004. He said, Stefan, I know who you are. What's that? I see you. Right? I know what you've done. I know your weaknesses. And I love you anyways. What did he communicate to me? I love you for who you are not for what you do. You know what my response to that was? Oh, that is the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I finally found a place where I can belong. I don't have to be somebody else. For once, I can just be me. And my response was, if you're willing to love me for me, I will follow you forever. And I'm still following him today, obviously. That's why I'm here, okay? That's our response to that kind of love. We, as Christians, are supposed to show others that aren't necessarily hearing from God directly that this is the way God loves. We do it by making room for their weaknesses, by loving them for being people, for being who they are, not for what they do for us, right? So to do this, we have to give up our rights, don't we? We have to give up our rights to be treated fairly. That's a very difficult thing for all of us to do, right? You know, in marriage, now you might say, huh, marriage, that's, that shouldn't be your enemy. Well, it shouldn't be, but remember, Loving your enemies at the extreme level, but that's why it's just making room for weaknesses. That can happen even on levels where you have a good relationship with someone, right? You know, in marriage, we, we, get, you know, we get this idea that I don't have to love you because you're not treating me the way I want to be treated. You're not, you're not showing me the respect that I deserve. You're holding back my marital rights. I've heard that one lots, right? And it's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not minimizing. But I'm saying we use that as an excuse then. Now, I'm going to withhold love from you because you're withholding from me. We can't do that if we're going to make room for others' weaknesses. We can't do that if we're going to love the way Jesus calls us to love. You know, we do this, uh, you know, it might be in public. It might be a waitress that didn't, you know, smile at you enough. She's like, I'm not going to tip her because then I'm tipping, I'm, I'm rewarding bad behavior. And I don't want to do that. Not factoring in what, what's going on in her life right then. We don't always know. How do we know how to make that judgment? We, we don't. We don't know how to make that judgment. We're not owed anything, but we owe everything to Jesus, don't we? 
And because we owe everything, our calling is to love sacrificially, to make room for others' weaknesses, to make room for their faults and their, and their sins and their areas of struggle, to make room for that and say, I still love you anyways. That's our call. Now, we come up with all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't do this. We don't have time is the first one. I'll just point back to the Good Samaritan story. He didn't have time. What about Jesus in John 21? He goes across the sea to the cemetery, delivers one man, one man, gets back in the boat, goes across and continues on his ministry. Didn't have time. Jesus was busy. And he made time. People were important. I would go on to say, now, sometimes is busyness. You might have legitimate things that you have to get done. You can't, like, skip work and expect to still be able to feed your family because you just want to go and stay there and show love to somebody. Okay, that doesn't work. There are things, obligations that you have to fulfill. But in your heart, I'm talking about the heart here, in your heart, if the tasks in your life are ever more than the relationships, I will venture to say that you are not operating out of God's heart, but your own. Because he never does that. You look throughout scripture, and every single time, relationships always come first. He always puts relationship first. In fact, he makes every possible way when the task, the law, we talk about tasks, look at the law, right? And because we're transgressors of the law, our punishment should be death. So if he was about tasks, we would just be dead, wouldn't we? But he sends his son to die to pay the penalty so that he can restore the relationship. Because relationship to God is far more important than tasks. He loves you, that's far more important than what you do. Not saying that we don't have to try and live holy and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. We preach that here all the time. I'm talking about the heart beneath it. You have to know his heart because that's the heart that we're supposed to love others with. Okay? The other reason we come up to with often that I hear is the person isn't easy to love. Maybe they're obnoxious. <laughs> they're like me sometimes. Okay? Maybe they have a smell to them. I don't know. Maybe they hurt you and you're offended at them. So you're like, I don't want to show them love. It's inconvenient. I don't know how to love them. I don't know how to show them that they're valuable. You know, we judge others by their actions, but then judge ourselves based on our intentions. I heard that quote. I don't know who did it, but I love it, right? We judge ourselves by our intentions, but everyone else based on their actions. We need to flip that around. We need to love people and see them the way God sees them. We need to create a place for everyone to belong, okay? So me and my wife decided this a long time ago. We actually um, decided when we go out and when we eat at restaurants, we always tip, no matter what. No matter the service, no matter how bad it is. Am I saying that we don't, you know, if they cook my steak wrong, I don't ask for a new one? No, I will ask for a new one. If it's well done, I like it medium rare, I'll ask for another one. But I'll do so with respect. Saying, I appreciate what you're doing here. This one's a little bit wrong, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Can you just get me a new one? That's okay. So I'm not saying you can't ask for a new one if it's a car piece of cardboard you get. You paid 50 bucks for it, okay? But what I am saying is, Make room for people's weaknesses. Sometimes we've had just terrible service. And you know what goes through my head when I get terrible service? Think about this. If this is a waitress, they live off of tips, don't they? Waiter or waitress, they live off tips. What must be going on in their life right now that they're willing to sacrifice a good tip because of how they're acting? I mean, they must be going, going through something deep. They must be hurting for them to be treating me this way, knowing that then I probably won't give them the tip that they want, that they need for living. That's how me and my wife have committed. That's how we see people. That's what we want. We don't get it right every time, but that's what we're becoming more like. Right? What's going on in their life? So we always want to say, hi, how are you doing? Ask them back. How are you doing? We often get a look, a surprised look. Oh, you, you care how I'm doing? Yeah, of course we care. Why wouldn't we care? Of course we care. What's going on? How can we help you? Right? That sort of thing. It's the always saying, we appreciate you. Thank you for your great service, even though it wasn't always that great. Why? Make room for their weakness. Make understand, understand that maybe they had something going on today other than just coming to work. 
Maybe they just lost someone you don't know, right? Anyways, that's what we always do. We always tip. We always show that people have a place to belong with us. We want to be attractive. We want them to look at us, and then when they see us praying, think, oh, maybe that's what they have that's different. Oh, those are Christians. Look how they treated me. That's how I want them to see. I don't want them to see the miser and then see me praying for my meal. What kind of testimony is that, right? If you're going to act like that, maybe you shouldn't pray before your meal or do it with your eyes open like you're not actually praying. <laughs> and just kind of talk it like you're casual. Yeah, thank you for the food. That's good. That's how it works. So I'll give you another example, and then uh, I'm almost done. Yep. So um, me, this is me and Louise. Now, I could tell you many stories where I got this wrong, okay? But a spot of marital tension for us for a long time, and it's been my fault, not hers, is this, okay? I've always felt like, you know, in marriage, you're two, become one. I should be able to share anything with my spouse. Now, when I say that like that, is that not true? You should be able to share anything with your spouse, Correct. But I was taking it to an extreme that wasn't actually fair. Okay, so what I would think is, if I'm really upset about something, I can just come, no matter where she is, I can just come and tell her with my full emotional intensity, and anyone who knows me knows that I can be intense. I can just come at, you know, at zero to 10. I can come at 10 and share with her everything that's going wrong in my life, and she's just supposed to suck it up and love me in return, right? No, that's actually not fair, but I'll get to that. But I didn't realize this at the time. I thought, this is what it, I should get this in marriage. You should be there for me. What would happen is, though, time and time again, she would get upset at me when I'd be sharing. I'm like, this has nothing to do with you. Why are you so upset? I'm just being mad about this. Why are you taking it personally? And then we both leave feeling unjust. Like, she'd be feeling, it's not fair that you just come in here when I'm trying to rest and relax. You come in here at a 10 and expect me to listen to you, and you're just, ah, like this. And I'm thinking, it's not fair that you're my wife, and I'm coming in here and just want to share what's going on, and you won't listen to me. So we leave these arguments or fights, right, feeling negative. So anyhow, I've been trying to grow in this, and it's only becoming by spending time in the presence of Jesus. This doesn't just come, and you don't manufacture this. So recently, I came home, and I was really upset about a conflict that I'd been in, that I didn't, like, you know, that was, it was not, not going the way I wanted it to go, and I was really upset. And I came in, and it was nighttime, and I started just spewing, pacing back and forth like a lion, right? You're back and forth in the living room. She was watching TV. I'm kind of getting in front of that, right? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Let's know what's on my heart. I, I just can't contain it. I'm so upset. And uh, I can see her getting agitated, getting agitated a little bit, but I mean, whatever. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> so finally she says, you know what? I really don't want to hear this right now. Ooh. You're like, well, she probably, you deserve that. You know what? When you're the one feeling it and hearing it, it still hurts, right? I don't want to hear that right now. And you're like, oh, I was pouring out my heart when you said that. And that really feels like rejection again. Okay, so I had a choice here. Am I going to get upset now? This isn't fair. You can't do this. I wasn't even pointing it at you. I was just sharing my heart. No, God's been doing a work in me. I've been learning to become more loving. My, my response to that was, oh, I'm overwhelming and hurting the one that I love. So I ran out of the room, literally, like really fast. To which she said, oh, now you're going to leave angry? I'm like, no, no, I'm not angry. Just give me a second. So I ran away and went to the kitchen because I couldn't just calm myself down in the moment. Maybe you can. I can't, right? When I'm up here, it takes me, I got to calm down. It's a while. So run into the kitchen and I just took a few big breaths, dropped my hands, loosened up my face, relaxed. Just started breathing. And then I just started talking to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for my wife. Thank you for giving me a marriage like this. Thank you for even this conflict. Thank you that I can see you working through it already. Thank you for the heart you've given me. Just started worshiping him, right? Getting myself connected to him relationally again so that 
I could then go back into the living room where Louise was sitting. She was sitting, so I got on my knees. It's not about the knees. You're like, oh, so romantic on the knees. Just so I can get on her level, okay? Had, nothing, had she been standing, I wouldn't have pulled us both to our knees. <laughs> but uh, she was sitting, so I got on my knees, and I grabbed her hands. And I said, honey, look at me, look at me. She looked at me, and you could tell she was still annoyed. And I said, I said Louise, I love you. I love you more than any other person on this planet. I would do anything for you. And I'm so sorry that I hurt you. And to which she said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, no, 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 you don't need to apologize to me. I said, it's not fair for me to come in here at a 10 and just expect you to receive everything that I push on you. That's not fair for me to, to push that on you. That's not my right. People don't owe me that. And I said, I want to protect you from everybody else. You know that about me. She's told me that. She feels very safe with me always. She knows I'll protect her. I've done it in the past. I said, but part of that is, I also want to protect you from me. I don't want to be the one hurting you and overwhelming you. I said, would you please forgive me? Now you can imagine how that fight ended. Ended a lot differently for both of us. We both felt, it's not a fight, right? But we both, <laughs> don't go there. It didn't end there. The 11 o'clock service, you guys are a riot. I hope this is the one they videotape. <laughs> this has got to get online. Okay, anyways, what I meant was it didn't end with both of us feeling like this is unfair. It ended with us feeling connected and together. Oh, I just, it took me a second to even clue in on the that I got. If we're going, <laughs> all right. So, if we're going to love like this, to love our enemies, to make room for others' weaknesses, it's going to take something. It's going to take a big shift in the way we think, because it means that we're going to have to allow ourselves to be placed in a position where we can be wronged. And Pastor Ray talked a bit about this at the Arise conference. If you were there. But that is actually what it's going to take. You cannot love your enemies. You cannot make room for weaknesses if you will not allow yourself to be wronged. If you're going to get defensive and get, you know, holding on to your rights and oh, I'm going to withhold love every time you withhold love from me, if that's going to be our response, you will never, ever fulfill the commandment to love others as yourself. Ever. You will only live up to the, you know, if you love only those who love you category. If we're going to love like Jesus loves, we have to be willing to hurt like Jesus hurts. He knows rejection. He's been rejected. He's continuously being rejected. And yet he still loves unconditionally. He knows this. We can follow him in this. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? This is love in action. Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we love like this, it draws people in. Everyone has weakness. Everyone thinks their weaknesses make them unacceptable to others. When Christians show others that, th that we love in weakness, that we will help them carry their burdens, we show them what the love of Christ really looks like. I'm going to end there. If you could put up the weekly challenge. 
And what I want you to do there, read Philippians 2, 1 to 5, and Romans 12, 9 to 21 this week. Meditate on it. Don't just skim through it. Meditate on it. Read it. Soak in it. Read it a few times. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do you want to reveal to me through these passages? Those passages describe belonging to a T. That's what it looks like. One of them was the mark of a true Christian. Do that, and then ask God to show you the steps on how to create belonging with your family, your workplace, school, and your cell, and go back to that list and remember what belonging looks like. Bow your heads with me, and then I'll just pray, and we'll sing a song, and we'll worship together, and just worship. I love worshiping together with my family. Jesus, we just love you. We thank you. Jesus, you left, and you said you were going to create a place for us. That's what you're doing right now. That is belonging. Even now, you're creating a place for us to belong, a place to belong for eternity. Jesus, you have given us every possible thing we could need, made everything available for us that we can just come and find our place of belonging in you, and all we need to do is say yes to you. God, I pray that this week, that each person in here, that they would have a revelation of your love and that it would just come out of them choosing to go and sit on your lap. I pray that you would make us a people that, is, that are full of gratitude, thankfulness, and love for others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.